Have you noticed that the meaning of words changes over time? Take, for instance, the impact of the internet age on some of these word meanings. Cloud. It used to mean raindrops in the sky. Web. Used to mean something a spider made. Friend. As in Facebook. Follow. Handle. What's a hashtag anyway? What about tablet? Used to be something you put in your mouth. Text. Tweet. Going viral. Words change. They morph into different meanings over time. What does the word blessed mean? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. The Lord bless you and keep you. What does the word fear mean? The fear of the Lord. What, what does that mean? Today we're back in the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 120 to 134 today is Psalm 128. These are a bunch of psalms used by the people of Israel on their annual pilgrimage journey back to Jerusalem, the religious capital of the nation. They walked uphill back to Zion for Passover to celebrate that they were a rescued people. They walked back for Pentecost to remind themselves that they were a commanded people. Pentecost comes from 50. 50 days after leaving Egypt on the second day of Passover, they were given the Ten Commandments. So they remember they were a commanded people. And the third feast was tabernacles, remembering that they were a blessed people. Shelter and food was provided for them by God in the wilderness wanderings. The Songs of Ascent reframe life under God's gracious hand. They remind us and the people of Israel that discipleship is a journey. Psalm 128 begins, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. I've been asking people for a couple of weeks, what does blessed mean? Most people sort of look upwards first, thinking more than looking to God for help. Uh, they're not sure how to answer. Hmm, blessed, they say. Then I say, you know, Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Psalm 1, it must be pretty important, this idea of blessed is the first word of the whole book of Psalms. It's the opposite of Adam and Eve being cursed because of sin. They were blessed. It's it's what God said would happen to Abram in the big first promise. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's sort of a really big concept. Kari Job has millions of views on her song, The Blessing. We know it so well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. But what does the word blessing mean? So that's the question I'm asking. And the person makes a face when I ask. And that means what I'm about to say isn't particularly clear. But here goes, and they say, it means 
It's like to be blessed. Right, so blessing means blessing. Others, to be fair, say it's like God's goodness is over you, his protection, his comfort. Well, hang around for about 10 minutes and we'll come back to what the word blessing and blessed means. For sure, it is something good. So the people of Israel sing this song and it says in verse 1, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. In life, you will be blessed if there's a condition, which is sort of weird because in Christianity we always hear about unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, unconditional favour. Here it's conditional on fearing the Lord and obeying the Lord we fear. So we'll need to come back to fearing the Lord also. If we fear the Lord and demonstrate this fear through obedience, there will be an outcome. Blessing looks something like this, we are told in Psalm 128, 3,000 years ago. You will eat the fruit of your labor. That's how you know you're blessed. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. In an era when you never knew which barbarian would come over the hill and take what you've worked your whole life for, this is a useful promise. You get to eat the fruit of your labor. Not only that, you'll be prosperous, Scripture says. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now, before you start thinking, this is so monocultural, suburban, one-size-fits-all thinking, just stop and remember, it's a subsistence agriculture context. If you don't have kids, and lots of them, it's very hard to run the farm. It's hard to protect yourself against your enemies. Children are necessary for survival. They are a sign of the fact that you're doing okay because you've been able to put food in their mouths. Families are a requirement for the longevity of your family name. You could be single and childless 3,000 years ago, but it would mean your name would die with you. Verse 4, yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Again, we're reminded of the conditionality of the promise. If you fear and obey, then you will be blessed. The psalm finishes with a reminder that the people are a people. They're not just nuclear families. What matters is that the whole of Israel is blessed by their God from his throne in Zion, which is where they're heading, Jerusalem. Verse 5, May the Lord bless you from Zion, all of Israel together, humbling yourself again on this pilgrimage home to worship. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Israel, as you fear and obey the Lord, may you see your grandchildren, which means you have lived a long life. Hard to see grandkids if you die young. And importantly, peace be on Israel. That is Shalom, the great Hebrew word for completeness, happiness, and wholeness.
peace be on Israel. It means may Israel be deeply happy with God and each other. So we get out at our Hebrew and Greek dictionaries and we're on a mission to find out what blessed means. Not just what you think it means, what it means in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we discover makarios in the New Testament and esher in the Old both mean happy. To be blessed is to be happy. Blessedness is happiness. Who knew? The word meaning of happiness has clearly changed. Blessedness, biblically, is happiness. God is a happy being and therefore it makes sense that shalom is a state of deepest happiness that harmonious place of wholeness with God and others and the world. Funny thing is, last week I heard lots of people saying joy is more than happiness. People say things like, happiness is nothing. Happiness is superficial. Happiness is a surface emotion. It's fleeting. Well, if you go back to the primary source, our Old Testament and our New Testament you'll see we have lost the meaning of happiness. I think the challenge of the word happiness is that we can understand it to a point because happiness is sort of obvious. As Christians, we prefer things that are mysterious. So we can say, I am joyful. I'm joyful, I really am, but you, you can't see it because it's so deep. It's like when we sing as Christians and we say, there was a song recently we used to say that we were dancing in worship, but we didn't dance. We sing that we're raising hands in worship, but we're not. We get used to not doing things that we say we believe. We say prayer is super important, but not many church people come to a prayer meeting. We get used to Christianity being words disconnected from reality. Happy. To be blessed is to be happy. Does that mean we're all meant to be happy Christians who live in denial of the real world? No, not at all. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by saying in the Beatitudes that blessed are the, Matthew 5, go and have a look, who is blessed, or in other words, happy. Jesus lists people who are poor in spirit, who are mourning, who are meek who hunger for righteousness, who are persecuted. In Luke's version of the sermon, Jesus says, Happy, blessed, happy are the poor, the hungry, those who are hated, those who weep now, those who are excluded. Can you see happiness in the kingdom of God does not mean everything is fine and dandy on the outside. This world is broken and it hurts people. And some of us listening or watching this sermon find it really hard to feel happiness. In many ways, it feels like happiness has been stolen from you from people who had no right to take it. And if that's you, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know the answer for why happiness has been so hard to find in your life. 
We don't know why innocent people get hurt really badly. Yet the Bible says there is blessedness, deep and identifiable happiness available to all those who fear and obey the Lord. We must acknowledge that we live in a fallen world filled with unimaginable suffering and our church, Northern Life, is part of that. We feel pain every day. We are disappointed when God doesn't seem to act when he could. Yet the Bible says what it says. I would contend that it is prudent to realise we are living through a time in history right now when society is seriously deconstructing worldview. Not just in the West, but all over the world. We're deconstructing, that is, pulling apart and examining beliefs and rules and cultural norms about everything from gender to marriage to sexuality to work to politics. And <clears throat> maybe the vast majority of this is good and healthy. <clears throat> But when you deconstruct the fear of the Lord and the obedience that comes with that, you put yourself in a really dangerous place. I know because I've been hanging out there. I'm a questioner. It's in my personality. I believe that God has big shoulders. He, he can take my questions. Questions are good. Until you stop and notice, wait a minute, I've been questioning God and his goodness and his slowness in answering prayer and the lack of credible or incredible transformation in the lives of his people. And I've realized in my mind, I've put God, the creator of the universe, in a witness box. And I'm the prosecuting lawyer and I'm also the judge. I'm the one cross-examining God. It's where you land if you don't have limits on deconstruction of beliefs. And then the truth of this psalm really hit me. The fear of God is reverential awe. It is realising every day, I am loved by the Father, but I am not just chummy with him like my buddy. He is the Lord of the universe. He, he is my Abba Father. He invites me into intimacy, but he is God. And he must be feared. Psalm 128 begins, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Happy are those who fear and obey. You might be shocked how many times the Bible links happiness, blessedness, with fearing and obeying. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 31.19 says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. Did you hear that? God has good stored up for those who fear him. Psalm 33 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Romans 3 says, Why judgment has come. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Isaiah 11 says, he says this about the Messiah. <clears throat> a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord 
will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he, this is Jesus, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Do you fear and obey the Lord? Do you have reverential awe? You might say, God loves us. And he wants us to rest on his chest like the Apostle John at the communion table. Yes, John, we are told, had a special, intimate relationship with Jesus. And yet on the island of Patmos, when he received the revelation for the book of Revelation in chapter 1, Verse 17, it says of this same John, the one who intimately knew Jesus. In fact, he was the beloved disciple. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's reverential awe. In Matthew 17, when John is given a glimpse of the glory of Jesus in the transfiguration. Again, this is the the beloved, intimate disciple says in verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, John included, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Reverential awe leads us to joyful obedience. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Reverential awe. It's hard to fear God if he is in your witness stand. And you are the prosecuting lawyer and judge. Happy is the woman. Happy is the man who fears God and obeys his guidance. They will truly be prosperous so that this prosperity can be shared with others. The word happy has been messed up. Can you see that? Happiness in a consumer society is all too often based around what we can buy next. And our lack of happiness can be based in our perceived lack of said materialistic ownership. Lack of contentment, lack of gratitude is the soil of a lack of happiness. Or in other words, a lack of blessing. So I'm getting all of this revelation over the last few weeks. And I'm like, thanks Lord, I think I used to fear you more, to be honest. I just Back before I was learned and, and experienced in life, back before I was to be honest, disappointed at times in aspects of Christianity back before my expectations hadn't been smashed, to say it most harshly, in some areas of power Christianity. I I thought to myself, I probably burned with a little more zeal at another time in my life. And the Spirit of God just gently took me to Revelation 3 and the Laodicean church. 
a place that I've actually visited in Turkey, and an absolutely beautiful place to live. Plenty of things to distract you there from God. And I read in Revelation a scripture that is very well known to me, maybe to you as well. Revelation 3.14 To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is written to Christians. Jesus doesn't want people lukewarm. What does it look like to be lukewarm? Probably not a lot of fearing the Lord. Probably a little lax on obedience. Probably a little casual about faith, about serving, about giving, about suffering. A little Scrooge-like with my gratitude to God. A little self-obsessed. A little over-emphasis on my own questions and doubts and disappointments. So then I went to the solution. Verse 19. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Be earnest and repent. To the church, this is. To most of us, be earnest and repent. Do you know what the word earnest means? It's it's sometimes translated zealous. It actually means to boil. The Greek word is zeloo. Bubble, bubble, bubble. The word sounds like it, its meaning. Zeloo, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus says in, in your discipleship journey, don't be cold or lukewarm or warm. Be boiling with your passion. Boiling for the passion for the name and renown of Jesus and his, for his gospel. Boil with a reverential awe for his glory. Fix your eyes on the Father's absolute greatness, his utter holiness, his matchless wisdom, his unfailing love demonstrated in Jesus' death for us on the cross and fall on your face in awe and gladness as a daily ritual. Are you boiling with passion? Do you need to repent? That is, turn from the direction you're heading and bow before God. Is God another add-on to your busy life? Has God become church? That sort of embarrassing group that disappoints and gives you something to hack on when you're feeling jaded with it? Can I encourage you to pray this psalm and seek God for the answer? You can pray this psalm every day of your life. It's Psalm 86 verse 11. God, teach me your way, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Read, a boiling passion for your name above all else. Why? That I may fear your name. Give me an undivided heart, God, so that I can fear you and delight in you. A book that has blessed me for the past 25 years has begun to bless me again. It's called The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. It's 
one of the most important books you could read outside the Bible. Yes, I just, I did, I just said that. Church, we need to fear the Lord and obey Him. There is happiness to be appropriated. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You, Scripture says, you will experience the happiness of knowing God all the days of your life. Peace be on Israel. Peace is the happiness of God. May you fear the Lord. May you have grace to walk in His ways. May you enjoy the goodness that He has stored up for you because you fear Him and delight in Him. May you live in His shalom. May you be happy in God. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to say thank you for making a way through Jesus for us to know you. Lord, for those of us who need to repent now, would you grant us the grace to do so? I thank you, Lord, so much for your willingness to receive uh, your wayward people back with loving arms. Lord God, we thank you that you embrace us like that father to the prodigal son. Yet at the same time, we want to see you as high and lifted up and worthy of our praise. You alone are great and you are holy and you are wise. And Lord God, we thank you that you are loving. Father, would you help us fear you? As a church, would you help us fear you? That we might delight in you and in turn you might Be happy with us. Lord, help us to understand what it is to be truly blessed.